How are you now? <laughs> How are you? On this beautiful what is it? The Tuesday night? Maybe it's Wednesday morning. As I always say, I have no idea when you guys listen to this thing. So, how are you? Your Montreal Canadiens win 6-4 to four over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Hello and welcome to episode uh, 68 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and that was pretty damn surprising to see them actually take a win in that game. Um, probably didn't deserve it and we'll get to that, but look, I don't think there's any way that they were going to go all the way through to the end of the season without winning a game. It was going to be pretty tough for them to pull that off. Uh, and they were on a seven-game losing streak, albeit with two loser points in there. So I guess at some point they had to get a win somewhere. And this was this was one of those games where they just weren't going to be denied, uh, no matter any of the statistics that were underlying in that game. So what are you going to do? Um, again, we're going to lose them all. But look, this one, right from the very... Uh, first minute of the game, it felt like they were going to lose that one, and it felt like they were going to lose it pretty soundly. Th- less than 30 seconds in, um, Pens get a chance. It's a wraparound by Brian Rust. He gets one more whack at it on the rebound. Uh, Samuel Montembeau makes the two initial saves, but rebound comes out to Jake Gensel a little further away from the net, and he makes no mistake. It's one nothing again, less than 30 seconds in, and we're still less than five minutes in when Josh Anderson takes a interference penalty, a little bit of a questionable interference penalty. I'm not too sure that that was one that they needed to call, but I digress. Um, it's a penalty that gets called anyways. He's in the box for two minutes. Power play for the Penguins, and seconds into that power play. Puck up to the point. Chris Letin makes a pass over to Evgeny Malkin, standing just below the top of the circle. One-timer in, and it's 2 to nothing for the Penguins. As they're announcing that goal, though, they haven't even finished over the loudspeaker telling you who scored it in PPG Paints Arena there in Pittsburgh. And the Montreal Canadiens get one back. Quick zone entry. Good work by Justin Barron getting the transition going on that one. Rem Pitlick, after gaining the zone, makes a little drop pass from Mike Hoffman, and he just rips one through everyone. Makes it 2-1. to one. And then we're still in the first half of the period. We haven't even hit 10 minutes yet in this game. And this time it's Jesse Alonen up near the point. Uh, takes a pass from Mike Matheson. Mike Matheson's kind of going off to the side and throws it back to Jesse Alonen. And Jesse Alonen has a look and puts an absolute laser beam through traffic past Tristan Jerry. And it's 2-2. Two to two. We've got ourselves a game. Habs, two goals on four shots. Pens, they got two goals on eight shots. This game seems like it could be a barn burner. And what happens with the fifth shot on goal for the Montreal Canadiens? Well, it goes in. Some great work in the corner by Jonathan Drouin. He gets the puck over to Alex Belzil in behind the net. He throws it out front to Denis Gurianov, and he backhands one upstairs. Bardownski. 3-2 to two is your score. And then, with 11 seconds left on the clock in the first period. Again, Montreal Canadiens not the better team in this first period, but definitely the more opportunistic team and definitely the team that's showing a lot of finish on the opportunities that they're able to generate. 11 seconds on the clock. Offensive zone draw. Jonathan Drouin gets sent out to take it. He wins it back to Johnny Kovacevic. He throws it over to Joel Edmondson, who's standing basically right beside him. And Edmondson just claps one on net. And it goes through. 4-2 to two is your score after 20 minutes of play. The Habs chase Tristan Jerry right out of the net. And that's probably a good idea because they had four goals on seven shots. 
They were really not getting a lot of shots through towards the net, but the ones they did get on net, I will say this for the Habs, uh, they had a lot of high danger scoring chances out of those four. You know, they, they were good scoring chances. I think the only one that probably didn't qualify as a high danger chance was the, um, well, I guess maybe the, the Yelonen shot as well, but for sure, I think the Edmondson shot would have been just a regular scoring chance, not a high danger one. The other two were definitely high danger. So, um, <laughs> say what you will, four goals on seven shots. They bring in Casey DeSmith instead. And you're wondering what's going to happen next, right? Um, obviously, they're being heavily outshot by the Penguins. It doesn't feel like a game that they're supposed to be leading, but they are by two goals. And, of course, about nine minutes left in the second period. Good offensive zone pressure by the Penguins. Uh, they work it up to the point, and Chris Letan lets one go while crossing the middle. Uh, Samuel Montembeau doesn't even see that one, and that makes it 4-3. to three. I, And I mean, he doesn't see it. Like, he doesn't even go down or, or even try to make a save. He's just standing there kind of in his stance, ready for a puck to maybe come his way. And uh, we're almost tied up here. It's 4-3. And then, a little bit later, they do tie it up. So there's maybe a little more than a minute left in the period at this point. Uh, it's their 30-second shot on goal. And this time it's Malkin again from the top of the circle with a one-timer on the power play. It gets tipped in front by Jake Gensel. And that goes in. And we're 4-4. Four to four. That's your score at the end of 40 minutes. Now, just a few minutes into the third period, though, Justin Barron puts a ridiculous stretch pass. He's in his own zone and puts a stretch pass all the way across to the other side of the ice at the blue line to Anthony Richard. He walks in and beats Casey DeSmith, makes it 5-4. to four. The Penguins pressing from that point. They're really trying to... Like, this is an important game for them because they're still in a playoff race. They need to get two points here. This is a game where if... You know, I talked about this last game where I was looking at the calendar. I was thinking this is probably a scheduled loss for the Montreal Canadiens. This is a game where they're scheduling themselves a win, and they're thinking this is an easy two points for us. We need to get this one because we we need it for our playoff race, and <clears throat> they're pressing. They're really trying to get it back, but they just can't. They pull Gacy to Smith in the dying minutes to try to go for uh, the extra attacker, and Josh Anderson takes a 175-foot shot from his own zone into the empty net, 6-4. to four. That's your final I'm not too stoked about this one. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> um, we've talked about tanking, you know, and I don't have a problem with them winning games from here on out. But the one thing I don't want, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'll say it again. I don't want them winning games that they have absolutely no business winning. Thanks only or in large part to their goaltender. And that's precisely what this was. This was the Samuel Montembeau show. In case you're wondering, yes, he's absolutely the player of the game for the Montreal Canadiens. There's no doubt about that. Final tally on shots was 43 to 22. I didn't think the Habs were going to hit 20. I think there was five minutes left in the game and they were at 18. And I'm like, "Mm." the way that they were like just shelling in their own zone and trying to play prevent defense, um, I I really didn't think they were going to get another two shots. And one of them was, of course, the the one that went into the empty net. So realistically, you take away that 175-footer by Josh Anderson. They only had 21, so they barely got over 20 in the first place. This is not a game that you want to see them win. It's not. Um, I understand, of course, and uh, you know I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm already over the fact that they won. I feel like they're going to get back to losing sooner than later. Uh, but that was one that I had looked at on the schedule and figured they were probably going to lose. And it's one where by getting the two points, as, as of me speaking right now, they have leapfrogged Arizona and Philadelphia, and they're in seventh last. 
Arizona still has a game to play tonight against Calgary, so they could win and uh, and jump back over top. And Philly, I believe, still has a game in hand as well. So I don't think it's, you know, it's not completely detrimental to the tank, but it's also, again, it's a game where your goaltender had to stand on his head just to give you the opportunity to get that win. If they had anybody other than Samuel Montembeau playing the way that he did in that game, or if they had Jake Allen not at his best, or... Uh, take any of their other goaltenders that game probably ends up like nine to six because I was talking about the high danger scoring chances for the Habs in the first period yeah they were getting high danger scoring chances there's no taking away from them like they scored six goals I'd say all five of the goals I don't think Tristan Jerry was that bad I don't think it was a case of them coming up against a goaltender that really laid out a stinker there they were opportunistic and then the opportunities they generated they cashed in on but again it would have been like nine to six, ten to six, maybe even, if they had a goaltender that wasn't standing on his head the way the Montembeau did. So, he's your player of the game. Um, what can you say about that? It was an incredible performance. Probably actually a good thing that some other teams get to see him playing this well this season because it opens up the possibility of another team being interested in trading for him during the off season. You know, goaltenders tend to be easier to move during the offseason because teams aren't exactly thrilled about the idea of the unknown of taking on a goaltender, uh, you know, at the trade deadline and hoping that he's going to be able to carry your team. You don't really get the opportunity to be around him and see what kind of um, things he can handle you throwing at him on a regular basis. Um, I, I think maybe in the offseason they might have a better chance to find a new home for him. And I think that might be a good idea unless they trade Jake Allen. I think one of your goaltenders has to move. And I think if you look at the two of them right now, who's going to be more attractive to other teams? It's going to be Samuel Moldambo, I would think. But again, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Realistically, you got to just look at that performance and say, man, that was brilliant. Um, please don't, don't do it again. Um, but what are you going to do? Now, there were other performances to like as well. Um, I would start with uh, Denis Gurianov. Man, he's, he's coming along very nicely for the Habs since that trade. Um, I, I can't say enough about him. That goal that he scored in this one was just beautiful. Uh, really good hands, tight in front of the net. Uh, he had some, he had a, some, I forget who it was. I want to say it was Letin, but it could have been somebody else. He has somebody with their stick all over him. He had to actually get his stick free and then take the pass and then really quickly move it over to the backhand and roof it. Um, that's not an easy thing to do when you're in that type and you got a defenseman all over you and the possibility of a goaltender poke checking you. You don't know what's going to happen. You have to be quick. And he was. And throughout the rest of the game, he actually had a number of really good shifts uh, on the forecheck where he just kind of came screaming into the offensive zone and disrupting things that the Penguins were trying to do um, and kind of making them think twice about every outlet pass that they were trying to do on their own breakout. So uh, that kind of thing is going to endear him to the coach. That kind of thing is going to make him a valuable player to play in the middle or bottom six. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can do next year. I think they they got to give him a qualifying offer or uh, try to work something out. I'd, I'd love to see it if they could work something out for like a two-year deal that makes it a little bit cheaper. It is a rebuilding team after all. And he was just given away by the Dallas Stars for a guy that might not even be in the league next year. I think he might be willing to take more of a show-me deal, two years, a million per or something like that. Give the Habs an opportunity to work with him a little bit more and give him an opportunity to go out there for two years and show what he deserves on a longer-term contract. He'd be, what, like 27, 28 by the time that hypothetical two-year deal would be over? So why not? 
I think it makes a lot of sense. I'd, I'd be super down for it. But again, I would at least give him the qualifying offer and try to keep him around for one more year. Um, you, you, I, I think it's worth it. I think he's shown enough to you in the short time that he's been with the team that he can contribute and he could be a valuable part of your bottom six. So you got to find out if, uh, if I'm right about that. I also have to talk about Justin Barron. Justin Barron was magnificent in that game. He was making some incredible breakout passes. It wasn't just, he had two assists in the game. One of them came on, uh, which, what goal was it? We're talking about the the Mike Hoffman goal. So he started that whole breakout in the Hab zone, and that transition eventually leads to a goal. And then, of course, you take the goal, uh, the pass that he made on the Antony Richard goal. That was just sublime. You don't see very many stretch passes work out like that. Justin Barron, coming back from injury, he's still got that confidence. He's still on that same trajectory that he's been on since the beginning of the season. You know, started out in Laval, started playing really well there, earns a call-up to the Montreal Canadiens, and has just been earning and earning and earning more ice time, more confidence, uh, more praise from the fans and from the coaches along the way. He looks like a legitimate answer for them on the blue line moving forward. I'm excited. Again, probably more excited than I am with Guryanov when it comes to Baron because he's 21 years old. He's only getting better game after game after game. He's doing this right now on a team that's a bottom feeder. They got mostly manhandled by the Pens in that game, but every time he was on the ice, something good was happening for the most part. It was kind of hard for me to leave that sentence hanging out there and say that every time he was on the ice, something good was happening. There wasn't a whole lot that he could do in certain situations. But when he has the puck on his stick in particular, he's making good things happen. More often than not, that's transition-wise and then, you know, sublime, you know, stretch passes like that that you don't see every game. This is a player that they can definitely build around on their blue line. Um, it's gonna be a, There's going to be interesting competition to see who can make the team out of camp next year unless they make some trades, which again, I've talked about before. I'm hoping that they do, but there's going to be a lot of young defensemen coming up and, uh, into camp next year as well. And uh, it could be a surprising decor that we see for uh, the start of the year next year in Montreal. So keep your eyes on that and keep your eyes on Justin Barron because I think he's got the inside track at this point to earn one of those spots for sure. Now last, but certainly not least, we got to talk about my boy, Jonathan Drouet. I felt like he had a fantastic game in that one. I mean, he gets the face-off win that leads to the goal with 11 seconds left in the first period. His forecheck in the corner that set up that Gurianov goal, I had to do a double take because I was watching, I'm watching the game on TV and I see somebody go into the corner, right? And they, I, they didn't say who it was at first. They didn't say who was battling in the corner. And I look and I see a seven as the second number. So I'm thinking, okay, that's number 17. It's got to be Josh Anderson. But then I'm looking at him and I'm like, no, there's no way. He's too small. And then I wait till the replay comes and then that's when they finally say, okay, it's Jonathan Drouin. It's number 27. What the fuck? I have not seen him that engaged on a forecheck in a, in a battle in the corner against two defensemen uh, in a very long time. And I think lately he's been one of the better players for the Montreal Canadiens and he deserves a lot of praise for how well he's been playing on a struggling team. And this is a guy who, let's not forget, had to step away from the team for a while because of everything he's been dealing with in his personal life. Like, it's it's really good to see him kind of getting back to playing, you know, the just fundamental hockey, going hard into the corners, um, winning face-offs. 
weird thing that's not even something that he's typically expected to do. Um, just f- the back to the basics of hockey. And he seems like he's having fun while he's doing it, which is great. Uh, we heard the story about him being excited to see Arturi Lekkanen uh, at their last game. He's a former teammate of his that he really liked. Um, I, I think he's getting back to having actual fun playing hockey. Now, what does this all mean for his future with the Montreal Canadiens? Probably nothing. Um, I think with the way things have gone, I, I think really for him the best thing, and I'm not even saying for the Habs, for him the best thing is probably to go somewhere else and get a fresh start. But if he was willing to come back and come back on a team-friendly deal at this point, it's got to be team-friendly. It's going to be team-friendly no matter where he goes. He's not going to be able to sit there and ask for a lot of money. And the Habs definitely can't give him a lot of money. But if he was willing to come back on a team-friendly deal. Does anybody honestly think that you wouldn't be willing to sign him based on how he's been playing lately? I don't think there's a single fan of the Montreal Canadiens who can be able to sit through these games, which some of them are pretty hard to sit through, and honestly tell me that you wouldn't be down to have Jonathan Drouin back on the team if it was on a team-friendly deal. I would. He seems like he's got no problem playing for them in the bottom six. He's got no delusions of grandeur at this point. He's happy to go out there and do some of those hard-nosed hockey things that bottom sixers typically have to do. If you could sign him to a quick little two-year deal, a la kind of what I was talking about with Denis Gurianov earlier, and it was team-friendly, he gets an opportunity to go out and earn his place in the NHL moving forward. And the Habs get an opportunity to have a low-cost bottom six player that has legitimate upside and sometimes, when need be, can jump up and play a little bit higher in your lineup. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I I think you could go either way at this point. You could let him walk, uh, which might be the best thing for him, or, you know, that a lot of that pressure goes away. A lot of that Quebecois playing for the Montreal Canadiens pressure dissipates a little bit if you're not playing on a big contract like the one that he currently has. So maybe, just maybe, there's a situation where that could happen. I don't know, but... I like the way he's been playing lately, so I don't, I'm not ready to close the door on that is all I'm trying to say. I'd be down for it. The question is, would he? And the question is, is it the best thing for him and for the team? That's something they're going to figure out in the offseason, but for now, he's playing very good hockey, inspired, and I'm liking it. I'm going to cut it off there. I talked about everything I like. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with one thought, and it's that this is this this better be the last time that we see them win a fucking game where they're getting outshot two to one and their goaltender has to stand on his head. If they win some games from here on out, if they if they end up winning a couple and then you know they finish seventh last or eighth last, whatever, I don't care. Right? I can deal with being in the top ten, but being towards the latter half of the top ten in the draft. I can't deal with being, you know, in the latter half of the top 10 and the only reason they're there is because they won five or six games towards the end of the year with their goaltender standing on his head and them barely putting up 20 shots that's what i don't want to see right because that sends the wrong message that sends the message that yeah you can win fucking games when your goaltender stands on his head and then what what's the organization going to do are we going to fall right back into the same trap that we were in with carrie price for so long where they over rely on him and they don't give him enough run support up front are they just going to stack up big-ass dudes all around them on defense and on forward and say, well, you know, if we got all these gigantic guys, how are they going to get pucks through? Kind of sounds like the current management's a little bit interested in adding size. Fuck that. Add the best player available in the draft, and the higher you can be in the draft, the better the player you're going to get. So let's not see any more of those games. 
I'm hoping not. If they do win a few, at the very least, I hope that they are games that they legitimately deserve to win. What are we running? Uh, over 20 minutes, so it's une soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien. Uh, we're on Spotify, uh, Google Play, we're on Apple. Uh, I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. I'm also on Substack, mattdrake.substack.com. You can also follow me there. It is free and it always will be. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.